All right, if you have your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to look at the gifts of the Spirit. And I'm going to give you a disclaimer this morning. Uh, There are actually three lines of interpretation. This this doesn't have anything to do with it. That's the heater or the air conditioner. There's a slight adjustment there, a few degrees. I'm making it warmer in here. (laughs) Or maybe less cold anyway, but I'm... uh, when I'm cold, I know it's really cold because I'm nervous and stay warm all the time when I'm nervous. But in an interpretation of the gifts of the Spirit, well, read with me verse 1 of chapter 12 and then let me talk to you. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brother, and if you're looking at your Bible, not at the screen, but the word gifts is in kind of italics. And uh, it, which means it's a supplied word. So what he's, what he's actually saying, or what it's saying in the original, now concerning spirituals, concerning the, the things of the Spirit, I do not want you to be ignorant. Gifts uh, fits the context, uh, because it, the context of chapter 12 is about the spiritual gifts given to the church. And so it fits the context. But Paul's saying, I do not want you to be ignorant. And um, I don't want to be ignorant, and you probably don't want to be, be ignorant about her. And, and that word means unknowing, is that we don't know the truth. We don't know about it. So what I was going to tell you, the disclaimer, is that in interpretation about gifts, there, there are three positions. And one position is, on one end, is that they are still active today. The sign gifts... Uh, that were in the first century are still active today in the church. There's a middle position saying that only occasionally, uh, and then there is the position where I am that it's a sensationalist. It means that they have ceased for this age, and they were uh, they were real, they were true, they were purposeful, but not when we're talking about the sign gifts, not just not gifts of the spirit, but just the sign gifts, which would be. Miracles, healings, tongues, those three basically. So I want you to know where my position is, and if you hold a different position, that, that's fine. I read after people who do, and uh, I quote to you sometime in the notes a man named David Gusick, and uh, he is a pastor of Calvary Chapel, which is a, they, they believe they're kind of in the middle position, and I think he's a very wise man. I enjoy his commentary that I read. And uh, I, but I just don't happen to hold that position. I think they're ended, and I think biblically they're ended. And that's so. What that's how I'm going to teach uh, this morning concerning you. And for the next couple lessons that we go through, because this goes all the way from chapter 12 all the way through chapter 14, that Paul is dealing with it. And and so I don't want to hammer it, but I want you to get the flavor. Paul is saying to them, I don't want you to be knowing about what's happened. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. He, he says it again in Thessalonians in his writing about, I don't want you to be ignorant about the second coming of Christ. Um, and he, so he, he, he wants us to understand truth, and so he, he deals with it. So let me, let me tell you what I, I think was happening here. Uh, we, get it, we get a sense of it in verse 2. 
For you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols wherever you were led. Now remember back, in, he's already said to us, in, I think chapter 10 if I remember, that when, when they came out of paganism and when they were worshiping idols, they were worshiping demons. You remember that? Now he's already said that. That's the context in which he's speaking. And now he's saying to them, you were, you were Gentiles, because the Jews didn't worship idols, but you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. So when you read about the history of Corinth and some of the other uh, Gentile cities, and they had these temples, uh, and they were uh, full of idols. You remember, he goes to Athens, and it's full of idols. Uh, it goes to, so they were used to that, and Paul said, you were worshiping demons, and the demons would give them an esoteric experience. I mean, it, so there would, be, uh, there would be a movement of their something happening to them when they were worshiping these idols. The, the idols would give them a sign. They'd give them a movement of a spirit. And it wasn't the spirit of God, but it was a, it was a different spirit. And I want to say to you, I want you to think rationally now for a moment, not biblically, but just rationally. It is our nature to want proof for our faith. We're challenged to live by faith. I've never seen Jesus Christ. I've seen him by the eye of faith. You remember he said to the disciple, uh, Jesus did, he said, blessed are you that you see me and believe, but blessed are those who, never, who don't see me and they're going to they're believe. And so but we believe by faith and we trust him by faith. We, we have faith in his word. We have faith in his historical presence and the, the work that he did and his person and his character. We have faith uh, in, in his sacrifice. But we haven't seen those things. So it's my nature to want some proof. I want some proof. Uh, I, I want to know. See, see so, so we're tempted, all of us, to think, okay, I want some movement of the Spirit. The Bible teaches me that, that I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes when late in the day, I don't feel that. <laughs> sometimes early in the morning, I don't feel that. You know, so uh, sometimes in the middle of the day, I don't feel that. And probably you, you don't feel it either. And I would like to feel it. I would like the Spirit to speak to me in my ear and say, I am with you. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. I'm going to defeat all your enemies. Uh, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be just fine. You're going to live happily ever after until Christ comes again. Uh, but he doesn't do that. Now, the Word of God teaches us some of those things. So I hope you understand what I'm saying. It's, it's our nature. It was their nature in that time to want some kind of assurance. And when they were worshiping demons, they were getting it. And, and now they are abusing or they are looking to the Holy Spirit for still some kind of uh, spiritual experience. They wanted an experience. And so Paul, in these chapters, there's a negative connotation that he's, he's teaching them. You're, you've got it wrong. And so in chapter 12, uh, and remember, it's all one discussion, but in chapter 12, he's speaking about the purpose of the Holy Spirit during this time for the church, the body of Christ. When we're reading through the New Testament, we see the church, the word church. Church means it's ecclesia, means it's a called out assembly. It's used in two different ways. One way is that there is a universal church that goes from the time of Pentecost when 
when when the Holy Spirit came and the church basically was started, uh, it, and it goes all the way until the second coming of Christ. So uh, all those you read about in Hebrews chapter 12 that went before us and all of those we're reading about in the New Testament who went before us, they're part of the church. We're part of the church. We're part of that stream. And we'll, we'll be until Christ comes. And so, but we're not, we're not assembled yet. We will be when Christ comes. We will be assembled with him. We will be his bride and, and be united with him then through the rest of eternity. And so, but and then the second sense is, is that this local assembly, this is a church. You go down the street, Bellevue is a church. First Baptist is a church. And it's the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. They're the body of Christ. Any Bible-believing church, doesn't have to have Baptist on the name, any Bible-believing church um, who, who believes the fundamentals about Christ is a church. They're a, they're, a, they're a church. And so when we're reading this, the Holy Spirit came to not only work in history, in the church history, but he came to work today in our church. And so uh, the Holy Spirit is concerned about the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. When we meet together this morning, we're the body of Christ. The people who are members of our church who are not here this morning, they're the body of Christ. And so he, the Holy Spirit came to, to work through the body of Christ. And so that's the context in, in which we study. So I want you to understand the problem when he's saying, you've been carried away by these idols and, and what they did for you, what you felt when you worshiped them. So you were moved. That's literally what he's talking about. You were moved by that. And now he's saying, verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, he's not just saying that the words can't be said, but he's saying there can't be a reality there. If, if the Holy Spirit came to glorify Christ, if you remember, Jesus said that. Jesus said that I'm, I'm going to go away, speaking to his disciples in the upper room, I'm going to go away, and if I go away, it's advantageous to you because I'm going to send the Helper. He's going to send one like himself, the Holy Spirit, and he will teach you all the things about Christ himself. All, and, and he will help, basically, I'm going to paraphrase, he will give you the understanding of all the things that I've taught you. The disciples came to that last night with Christ, and they didn't fully understand that he was going to go to the cross and die, and that was a necessity uh, to, for once for all a sacrifice to take away the sin of the world. They didn't fully understand that. They could see him in the flesh and blood as a person standing there, and they knew him to be the Son of God. They had come that far, and they couldn't understand how the Son of God would die and be taken by Roman hands and crucified and, and by the Jews. He, they couldn't understand that, so they, they weren't quite there yet. They didn't understand that it was necessary that there would be salvation by grace freely given to those who would believe in the future, and that grace would be applied to those who believed in the past. They just hadn't gotten it. The Holy Spirit comes and teaches them that. Today, the Holy Spirit, we read that early in Corinthians. I don't have an understanding of the Word of God except the Holy Spirit. Help me. I, I'm not wise enough. You're not wise enough. So the Holy Spirit illuminates our mind to understand the Word of God. We see it as a spiritual truth because of the Holy Spirit working within us. 
And that's what, that's what the Bible teaches. That's why unsaved people cannot grasp what the Word of God is saying to them. It doesn't make sense. Paul says that, if you remember. It's foolishness to them. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to them. Why would God die? And, and, they're, and then they're thinking as well, I don't need someone to die for me. I'm not that bad. I know a lot of people who are worse than I am. But, but we don't compare ourselves with each other. We compare ourselves with God. And God said, be holy as I am holy, and I can't do it, and you can't do it, and neither can they. And so that's, that's our need, and the Holy Spirit came to, to teach us that. So um, Christ's work, this, this is what this verse 3, Christ's work on the cross is exalted by the Holy Spirit. Christ's person is exalted by the Holy Spirit. And the spirits that be that don't exalt Christ are really demonic. They're not of the Holy Spirit. They're, they're demonic spirits. And now he's now he going to talk about the, the work of the Spirit itself. And then verse 4 through 11, we're going to read the whole paragraph. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and the word is languages, to another the interpretation of tongues, In verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these, distributing to each one individually as he will. Okay, I think verse 7 and verse 11 are the key. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit's going to gift you or gift me, the gifting of the Holy Spirit is for the profit of all. It's for the profit of everyone else in the church. It's not for your glorification. It's not for your own personal edification. It is, for the, the, it is for the edification of the church, for the benefit of the church body. Uh, and, and it's for the benefit of the church throughout the ages. We stand on the backs of those who went before us. You read Hebrews chapter 11. And, and someone led you to Christ, whether it was someone in the church or someone outside the church, Someone led you to Christ. Maybe it was your parent. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. But someone led you to Christ or a co-worker. And we're to do the same thing. We're, we, are, we are recipients of the faith. And the faith, now in that sense, is tangible. We're to keep the faith. Okay, keeping the faith means we're to keep the body of truth about Jesus Christ and about salvation by grace through faith. We're to keep that and to keep it pure and keep it right and to pass it to the next generation. Okay, the Holy Spirit helps us to do that. So, so in verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit, however the Spirit works in me or however the Spirit works in you, is for the benefit of the body of Christ. And then in verse 11, but one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills, which means that... No one gets all the gifts. 
and no one, you, you may, and we're going to read at the very last verse of the chapter, you may desire a certain gift. doesn't mean you will get it. It doesn't mean the, the Holy Spirit decides you can't pray and, and, and conjure up gifts. The Holy Spirit gives those as it pleases Him to, for the will of God. And so that's very clear, in the skip, very clear in the Scripture, or clear to me anyway. Now we're going to skip forward a paragraph, and he's going to speak again about this gift. There were some listed here, and he's going to give us another list beginning in verse 27. So I want to, I want to go there, and normally I don't skip around in the chapter, but I, we're going to go there for clarity's sake this morning. And, and now read with me verse 27. Now you're the body of Christ and members individually... And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? These are rhetorical questions. Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? but earnestly desire the best gifts, yet I show you a more excellent way. And the more excellent way he's going to speak about is, is, is the, love of, the love we're to have, the love of Christ we're to have toward the church and each other in chapter 13 that you're familiar with. Uh, you're familiar with that, with that chapter. So <clears throat> the gifts are different for people throughout church history. We're going to take a, we're going to take a quick look. And, and, and here in his rhetorical question, are all apostles? No. There are only a select group who were apostles. Now, I could call myself an apostle, but that doesn't make me one. Uh, there are churches who have apostles, but that doesn't make them apostles. It was a select group of people. Uh, the original 12, even Judas was an apostle. And uh, the word means sent one. Uh, they, were, they were selected by Christ, sent by Christ to the nation of Israel. And then after his resurrection to the world... And, uh, and so then the Apostle Paul, Barnabas, uh, James, the Lord's brother, became an apostle, uh, was recognized as an apostle. But there were just a limited few. And Paul is going to teach us in, I think, in 2 Corinthians that they, they, they were the, uh, Christ is the cornerstone of the church, we're talking about the church age, and they were the foundation. They were the ones that the Holy Spirit came to and gave them the wisdom and knowledge to give us the Scripture. Okay, so they're the foundation. And, we're, and we are living stones built upon that foundation. I've given you other Scriptures that I'm not giving you references for. But we're living, we're living stone, Peter says, built upon that foundation. So all of us together are the church. Okay, but so I'm not an apostle, and you're not an apostle, and there are no more apostles. They were in the first, first century, and when they passed on, that was it. And then, and then we read the next one in verse uh, 27. And there were only a few prophets in the sense of prophecy being foretelling before it happened the Word of God. There were prophets in the Old Testament that the Spirit of God would come upon them, and there wasn't the written Word of God, there wasn't the New Testament, but they were revealing God's will to the nation of Israel and sometimes to the foreign nations. God would send them to the other nations around Israel and they would proclaim the word of God, okay, that hadn't been written down. So 
they, they, were prof, they were foretelling what's going to happen in the future. And then there's a sense of, uh, and, and this, there's a sense of, there, this morning, I am foretelling. I am foretelling you the gospel. And so I'm not foretelling. I'm not predicting the future. I'm not saying, and they didn't predict the future. I don't mean that, but they spoke the future. And you read in Deuteronomy, it said, if they were false, you kill them. You know, so you better get it right. You better be a true prophet if you're going to prophesy to, to God's people. And, and so, but today, we have the Word of God. We have the Word of God, and if anyone comes and says something contrary to the Word of God, we know that it's a false spirit. And if they come saying the Word of God, then they're simply foretelling what God has already said. Is that clear? So there's two, there's two, there's two, two types. Okay, the first type... Those who were foretelling, it's over. We have the Word of God. They foretold us the Word of God. Now it's written down. Uh, the Holy Spirit inspired these apostles. They wrote it down. And uh, we have it in our hand and our, in our, on our device, whatever. We have it available to us. And that's God's Word. And Peter says that he, we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. The Word of God is all we need for life and godliness uh, God has revealed all we, need to, all we need to know. Now, I would like to know more, and we will know more one day. But God has said to me, that's all you need. This is all you need. If you just study that, you'll have plenty to do. And, and so there are no more prophets <clears throat> in that sense. And then he said, are all teachers, and uh, a, a teacher... Uh, there, there have been teachers throughout the history of the church. There are still teachers today. But are all teachers? No, not all, all are not teachers. And I don't mean having this office that I have with you as a class. I don't mean that. But you teach your children. You teach, uh, maybe you teach public school or private school, or you, you're, you're a teacher in that sense. But are all teachers of the gospel? No. And then he said, are, are all workers of miracles? Okay, this is, one of the, this is one of the sign gifts, the three that I mentioned to you earlier, is, are, are all workers of miracles. Well, I'm not, and probably you're not, and uh, if you were, I wish you would fix me. And so, <clears throat> I, I, but are all workers of miracles. So I want to give you a little history, okay? So I put this in the notes so you don't have to remember it, but I want to give you a little history. Abraham was the father of faith. Never, there's no miracles accredited to Abraham in the scripture. He's the father of faith. Okay, so he, he is our example. He was the example for the Jewish nation. Worked no miracles. And then you move to 1450 B.C. You, you move uh, 400 years past Abraham, and Moses comes on the scene. And you remember, uh, God called Moses in the desert, said, I want you to go and deliver my people. I hear their cries. And at uh, the time that God had already prophesied to Abraham 400 years before this that his descendants would be in Egypt for 400 years and then God would bring them out. So God's now fulfilling his word 400 years later through Moses. And he told Moses, go and bring them out. And Moses, you remember, said, I kind of have a little problem, you know, expressing myself. And so how, how are they going to know? How are they going to believe me? They tried to kill me once. How are they going to believe me? And he said... Put your hand in your, in, your, in your bosom, brought it out as leprosy, put it back, 
throw your staff down, it becomes a snake, pick it up. And he said, you know, I'm going to give you these signs. I'm going to give you these miraculous signs, and, you're going to, and, and, and the people are going to believe you. So he goes back to the Jewish people, and they believe him. He has these signs that they, the Jewish people, recognize as miraculous. They didn't have the Word of God, but they, rec- they didn't even have the, what Moses is going to write yet. So they recognize him as God's spokesman. Here he comes out of the desert, 80 years old, and they recognize him. They say, okay, you're God's spokesman because you do these miraculous things. And you remember, he goes before Pharaoh and he pronounces these things that God's going to do. He's not doing those signs that, they did, that God did before Pharaoh, but he's pronouncing them. And uh, some, some of the th- signs the Egyptian sorcerers could do as well, uh, but they were not of God. But so anyway, but as far as Moses actually, I mean, he goes, you remember when they're coming out, he goes to the Red Sea, he, he, he puts, God said, put your staff in there, put your staff in there and it divides. If you remember, he smites the rock and the water comes out of the rock. But it's God's power doing those things. God's instructing Moses and he does those things. But we, I would call those miraculous things. You move forward, uh, you know, hundreds of years and you get to King David. And King David is the only person in the Bible that says he's a man after God's own heart. Okay, he's the only person that, that's said about. He, there's no miracles recorded to him. You know, unless he'd been a great warrior. And I mean, but there's no miracles re- recorded to him. <clears throat> and then you go through the reign of David and Solomon. And then the kingdom breaks up. And what happens in, when the kingdom breaks up, and now there's the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, and idolatry moves into the land. Okay, so idolatry moves into the land, and now the people, both kingdoms, are worshiping idols along with worshiping God, and, and God is, they're not listening to God. And God sends them Elijah and Elisha. Okay, you remember? You remember those guys? Uh, and they are miracle workers. I mean, they had the power resided in them. They put out their hand, and it happened. And, and you remember Elisha asked for a double spirit of Elijah's spirit, and God gave it to him, and he did twice as many miracles recorded for Elijah as, as for Elijah. They raised people from the dead, you remember. So they, they had the capacity. Now why? Why, why? why did they need it and others didn't? They needed it because the people of God had quit listening to God. And they were, the miracles established them as the authoritative speakers on God's behalf. Are you with me so far? Okay. And then you move forward five, six hundred years to John the Baptist. Okay, John the Baptist comes on the scene. Jesus says, there's never been one born of woman greater than John the Baptist. The Bible tells us that he was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. So, I mean, so he, he was filled with the Spirit of God from his mother's womb. I wasn't, you weren't, no one else that we know about in the Scripture was. But, 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 but he never, there, and, and the Bible actually says in the book of John that there's no, that John did no miracles. Now, why didn't he? Why didn't he? He's filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. If anybody could want to do miracles, it could have been John. But the people of Israel believed he was the prophet. 
They thought he might even have been the Christ. They knew he was God's spokesman. They had no doubt that he, all, all the people flocked to hear John. They knew he was God's spokesman. They knew God was speaking through him, and so he didn't need any miracles to authenticate the word of God because they accepted that. Okay? And then after uh, the time of John the Baptist, uh, now Jesus comes on the scene, and they didn't accept Jesus. The apostles come on the scene. They didn't accept the apostles. And God, I'm, I'm, I didn't say, I'm going to start to say God gave them the authority. God didn't give Jesus the authority to work miracles. Jesus is God, and he worked miracles to authenticate his word, to authenticate. You remember Nicodemus comes to him at night, and Nicodemus says, we know you're a man come from God because of what? What you're doing. We know no one can do these miracles that you're doing except you be from God. Well, the same thing is true with the apostles. They're just fishermen. They're common people. And, and the Jews recognize they hadn't been to the rabbinical schools. They're not born with a silver spoon in their mouth. They're just, I mean, they could tell how they dressed and how they spoke. I mean, you speak like a Galilean. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth or out of Galilee? And see, so God allowed them to do miracles to authenticate their authority to speak God's word. So when you look at church history, hundreds of years pass between each incident. And why? It's because God authenticated his word through individuals doing miracles. Now, What's my authority today to stand here and say these things to you? It's this. It's not the fact that I work miracles. I don't need to work a miracle. Either you receive the word of God or you don't. It's up to you. That's on you. Okay, it's on me whether I receive it or not. It is not, a, a, a miracle would not help. <clears throat> you remember, and that's not in your notes, I'm just talking to you. But you remember, uh, Lazarus dies, the rich man dies, Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. The rich man is in hell, Hades. <clears throat> he's, in a, he's in a hell awaiting hell. And, and so he sees Abraham, I mean, he sees uh, Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And he's, in Abraham's bosom? Yeah. And, and so he says to him, you know, send him, dip a cool water, uh, you know, dip his finger and give me a touch my tongue. And, and Abraham says, sorry, there's a great gulf fixed. Can't come, he can't come to you. And he said, well, at least send him to my brothers. Send him to my brothers uh, that they would not come to this place. And you remember what Abraham said to him? Abraham said to him, even though one rose from the dead, they would not believe. Okay? So today, when, today, if a person will not believe the word of God that has been authenticated through 2,000 years, uh, if, they, if they will not believe that, they would not believe if I could work miracles. And they wouldn't believe if you could work miracles. So, <clears throat> in this sense, there are no miracle workers today. Now, I want to qualify that. I believe God does miracles today. I think we've seen some in the church. Uh, we pray for them, and I think it's okay. But I can't work. No, no person works miracles today. Okay? I know, again... You may say, well, I know somebody who does. <laughs> well, <clears throat> and again, I'm not challenging you. Uh, there are a lot of anecdotal things you hear and read, uh, but they're, scripturally, there's no need for them. We have the Word of God. The Word of God is miraculous itself. 
And God works miracles today. All right, then healing comes next. Same thing with healing. Uh, when we're talking about healing, and, and they had the power and authority, those apostles, to heal. Okay, we don't. Now, I think the word of, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the word of God does healing today. I think the spirit of God through the word does healing today. You remember you're reading the book of James and someone's sick and said you take the elders, you go, you anoint them, you pray for them and their sin would be forgiven and the indication is their sickness is going on because of their sin and if their sin's repented of, the sickness is going to go away. We just read that in the previous chapter, if you remember, when Paul was speaking to them about their practice of the Lord's Supper and he said because of the way you're doing it, some of you are sick, and some of you have already died. And so that sickness can be healed, but it's healed by the Word of God. We have, I've seen relationships healed by the Word of God. I've seen mental stress healed by the Word of God and by those who express the Word of God. So do people have healing power through the Word of God? Yes. Can anybody lay your hand on somebody and heal them? No. Okay, that, that's, that's over. That was to authenticate the Word of God, and it is over. Administrations are, have always been with us. Administration is not a sign gift. Uh, it's that God gifts some people in administration. Administration means you're helping the church. You're doing what you can for the church. Uh, when we come here this morning, it, it's not just the paid staff that makes the church work. It's all those people who are volunteering, all those people who... Uh, came early and, and, and helped uh, do the music and all those people who are watching your kids this morning and your grandkids and all those people who are volunteering in the nursery. And the church functions on the, on the other administrative things that volunteers do, that the body of Christ does. And then we do it for each other outside the church. Hopefully, we, hopefully we're, we're doing that. Uh, we're gifted with those. And then, variety of tongues, variety of tongues. Okay, chapter 14 deals specifically with this, so I'm not going to deal with it this morning, but after we come back to class, a couple, uh, maybe the next time we're in class, I'll do 13 and 14, because 13 you're familiar with, uh, it's pretty self-explanatory, so we'll do 13 and 14 together. So I'll go into tongues, what is the purpose and tongues, and are tongues still available today? What is the gift of tongues? And is it still operable today? So we'll hold that for, for right now. Okay, now I'm going to go back to chapter, I mean to uh, verse 12, chapter 12. And he's going to give the illustration that the church is a body. And he uses the human body as an illustration. Now remember, okay, the Holy Spirit is given for the body of Christ, for the local body of Christ, and for the greater body of Christ. Okay, we've seen that, the greater already through history, local body. For, verse 12, for the body is one, has many members, but all the members that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Okay, I want to stop right there and deal with those two verses. If you're 
study theology or you're a theologian or you've uh, been a Baptist a long time. And uh, these verses have a little bit of, not, I, won't say, I don't say controversy, but they're a little bit disagreed upon how they're interpreted. Um, John writes that there's, uh, there's one Lord, one Spirit, one baptism. You remember John writes that. I can't, I can't remember what chapter. Uh, I didn't put it in the notes, but you're, you're familiar with that. Okay, one baptism, and I think when John writes that, he's saying that that baptism is water baptism. Okay, so what do these verses mean? When, when we read... Um, in, in verse 13, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free. What's the rest of it? Same turn back. And have all been made to drink into one spirit. <clears throat> I was taught in Bible college, I was taught that this means that's baptism, that we were all in the church because we came into the church through baptism. I don't believe that today. Now, I don't argue with people who do, but I don't believe that today. I think when the context, you remember, we just read, Paul had just told us that when the people came out of Egypt, they were all baptized into Moses by going through the water of the Red Sea. You remember that? They're all baptized. They're all under the cloud. They're all baptized unto Moses. Okay, under Moses, it didn't mean that their faith was in Moses, that they were trusting Moses to bring them out. It means they were all committed to his leadership. They're all committed to him, God working through him. His, so that was symbolic of water baptism. They came through that Red Sea. And they're trusting Moses. They're trusting Moses, God's leadership through Moses. So they're committed. They're committed to him altogether, whether they were Jews or Gentiles or some of the hanger-ons that came out of Egypt with them. The mixed multitude, they were all committed to Moses. I think this is the same context. Paul is using it in the same context. So read it again, verse 3. By one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And what body is that? Christ. The Holy Spirit birthed me into Christ. The Holy Spirit birthed you into Christ. See, it doesn't matter about our experience some of you, when you got saved, was a great emotional experience. Some, some of us, it was uh, more of a, okay, I checked that box. I, I understand that. I believe that. I'm committed to that. Uh, it, it wasn't necessarily emotional or as emotional. Uh, some people, you know, again, we have different personality types. We respond to life differently. We respond to criteria differently. And, and I'm saying to you, it doesn't matter about your emotion it doesn't matter about your passion. It doesn't matter about what your life was like before, what your life's like now. We all got saved the same way. The Holy Spirit brought a conviction of sin into your life, and the Holy Spirit revealed to you the truth about Christ, and you repented, and you accepted Christ. And it's the same for all of us. We're all born of the same Spirit. Then the Holy Spirit comes and seals us until the day of redemption. And it doesn't matter whether you're emotional or unemotional or, or what. It's the same. See, again, it's not your emotion that proves that. It's the Word of God that proves that. Uh, it's not how I feel about that. It's what God has said about that. So I think when we read this verse, it's saying that throughout church history, the Holy Spirit saved people. It's the same 
Uh, we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks. Now remember, he's part of the problem in Corinth. Well, some of them were Jews, some of them were Greeks. And that's part of the problem. And he's saying, it really doesn't matter whether you're slaves or free, whether you're rich or poor, all have been made to drink into one body. We are one in Christ. You know, it's true this morning. When we gather together, we're different. I mean, we're different. I can look at you and I tell you, you're different. <laughs> you know, the way we say, you're not my people. You know, you're so, well, you don't sound like me. You know, so we're different. But in Christ, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're the same. We're, we're together. We, we, we are one of another. And we just read, we read that we're not, well, we're, we're reading that. We're not all the same. We're not all the hand or the eye or the ear or the nose. We're, we're all different. We all have different function. But we belong to Christ. And we belong to Christ the same way. By grace through faith and what he's done. And, and it doesn't make us any better or any worse. It's Charlie Brown's theology. I want to belong to that club where there are no big people and there are little people. They're just people. And that, that's what we are. We're just the people of God. And we come together and we're brothers and sisters and we love one another. And so uh, <clears throat> that's what he goes on and says in, in, in verse 14. At, and let me finish this little paragraph. For the fact that the body is not one member but many, if the foot should say... Because I'm not a hand, I'm not the body, therefore it's not the body, you're the ear. Uh, if the whole body were an eye, I'm just going to p- kind of paraphrase it. But verse 18, but now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. Okay, you know why I am who I am and where I came from and my background? Because it pleased God. It's his choice. It's what he wanted. He has purpose for that. You, it's the same true with your history. God put you where he wanted you. You were birthed where he wanted you birthed. You were to the family he wanted you part of. You're here today <clears throat> because it pleased God. He has a purpose for that in your life. <clears throat> and then verse 18, But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Uh, and verse 22, no much rather than members of the body who seem to be weaker or necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable are those uh, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need for God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. You can't see my heart pumping, but if it stops, you're going to see the result. You understand? So, you know, God God has uh, God makes our parts that we don't see more important than what we do see. Um, I've been disfigured a little bit, and it doesn't change my body. It doesn't change who I am. And, and maybe you've been disfigured a little bit. Age has a little effect on us, whether we do anything else about it or not. And so it doesn't change who we are. Uh, it's, it's, it's who we are in Christ. In verse 25, he gives the reason that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Now, let me just be a preacher for a minute and ask you, do you have the same care for all the parts of the body? 
when you come into the Sunday school class and you meet members of the special class who are coming up this hallway, they get off that little white bus and they come up this hallway and go in their classroom and they're not like us, but they're, but they're human and they're Christ and they may not be able to talk intelligently or walk straight like we do, or, but, but they are members of this body. And I hope you acknowledge them when you see them and when you meet them. Okay, I want to read to you what G. Campbell Morgan said. G. Campbell Morgan, <clears throat> he wrote a little book published in 1927 uh, called, it's a summary of every chapter of the Bible. He has a little theological summary of every chapter of the Bible, and I'm going to read you what he says about this chapter. He said, what a wonderful chapter this is, the unveiling of the unity of the church. I have to get it close because it's real small print. The figure of the body which the apostle employs is surely the most perfect. The psalmist of the olden time was constrained to examine, to exclaim, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and the more carefully we consider our body, the more we realize the truth of the saying. The astonishing unification of the most diverse powers and capacities, all fitting instruments of our life realization and expression is indeed most wonderful. Such is the church of God, the very body of Christ, the instrument of the Spirit. The particular words upon which we have fastened our attention are words which should bring to every heart the most perfect rest and the truest comfort. My place in the body of Christ is not the result of my choosing, neither is it the result of the appointment of the other members of the body. I am where I am in the body, and I am what I am therein by the good pleasure and placing of God himself. To realize this for myself is to be saved from any dissatisfaction. No place is unworthy if it is to be a place that God has chosen. No service is mean, or mean in the sense of less important. It is if it be a service to which he has called us. To realize that this is true of all others is to be delivered from the possibility of thinking unworthily of their place within the body. To realize this is to be taken seriously and joyfully, whatever our appointed work may be, knowing, knowing that purpose, knowing also that as we do so, we are enabling all the other members to do likewise. We are part of one another. We're going to be part of one another throughout eternity. Why not start today? You know, why not feel that today? Why not respond to that today? And you know, God would bless us if, if we do. Pray with me and we'll go to church. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our time together this morning. Uh, Lord, we just, uh, I pray you'd help us as we uh, speak to each other, view each other, pray for one another, respond to each other's needs. Uh, Lord, that we'd have a realization that uh, whoever I am, you, you have chosen for me to be this, and I'm to do the very best that I can for your glory. And it's true of every person in this room and every, church, every person in the church service to follow. And Lord, we are different. Help us not focus on the differences. Help us focus on the sameness that we have in Christ, that we are your children, and you have loved us, and we're grateful. Let, let us have a grateful heart. Lord, for who we are, where we are, and be, and be so thankful that you're glorified. We pray in Christ's name, amen.